As Pastor Jennifer said, this is a good story for us to hear and to think about and to experience as we try to imagine what God is like. But I also know it's a very familiar story, so may we hear it with new ears. Luke 15, 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would have gladly filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed them. Then the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And get the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked what was going on. He replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him. But he answered his father, listen, for all these years I've been working like a slave for you and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. May this, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. My name is Drew Herring, 
and I am an older brother. Now you're supposed to say, hi, Drew. And now Skylar, we'll keep going around the circle. It's your turn now. Now I'm not poking fun at Alcoholics Anonymous or any of those support groups. I'm actually wanting to lift up their wisdom. After all, the first step is acknowledging that you have a problem. I am an older brother. Yes, I have a younger sister. I'm the firstborn of two children. But I'm also a lot like that older brother in the story. As an older son, I work really hard. I put a lot of effort into getting things right and doing what's right. I'm uncomfortable taking something I don't feel like I've earned. Like a dessert. I mean, I haven't been to the gym or a nap. I really haven't done anything today. Or a vacation or any sort of offer of help, even if I really need it, and especially not an extravagant gift. I want to pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I want to pay my own way. And if I'm being really, really honest with you, I don't like this idea of grace. In hindsight, I can see many moments where I would have been lost without it. I know in my head that grace is the only thing that can save me, but I don't like it. Because at the same time, there's a part of me that wants my life, my worth, my value, my esteem, how other people view me to be completely the result of my own merit. And even as I fail, even as I feel the torment of this unrealistic pressure, something within me, you might call it ego or pride, insists that I earn everything I have and everything that I am. And this can also lead to resentment and judgment of others, especially those little brothers and little sisters, those prodigals. Now, we all have our own different definitions of what it means to be a prodigal. If you're like me, you have certain persons and circumstances and behaviors that come to mind and maybe even categories of people as I say that word. Essentially, these are people we don't respect. I don't respect people who don't seem to work very hard or care very much about what I think is right. I don't respect people who break rules that I think are important. I don't respect people who make bad choices. But it doesn't really matter what I think. Like it or not, my father, our father, doesn't play by my older brother rules or your younger sister rules either. I'm not saying our divine parent doesn't value discipline or hard work or self-control or the desire to do what is right. I'm not saying it doesn't break God's heart when we make choices that hurt our loved ones and destroy relationships when we squander what we've been given, when we fail to live into our potential, when we run away from home, God wants nothing more than for us to come home and to be reconciled. But this whole idea of earning and deserving doesn't 
compute in God's math. It's all amazing grace. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. Jewish law said that the oldest son would inherit two-thirds of the property and the youngest son would inherit one-third of the property when the father died. It was not unheard of for a father to uh, give away his property early and divide it between his sons if he wanted to take a step back and retire and enjoy his later years. But the audacity of a son to ask for the property before the father died was him the equivalent of him saying at best, okay, old man, it is time for you to step aside. And at worst, I wish you were dead. The father doesn't resist, at least not in Luke's retelling, but quietly, and I imagine sadly, he does what the son asks. And then he walk, watches him walk away. A few days later, the younger son has blown through all the money and the crops have failed in the place that he has run to. And the only job he can get is feeding pigs. A job forbidden to a, any self-respecting, law-abiding Jew. Pigs were considered unclean to eat or even touch. But doing that dirty, shameful work was the only hope for the boy's survival. And even with that job, he didn't have anything to eat. Nothing would give, nobody would give him anything, and so he salivated over these carob tree pods that the pigs were eating, and that food was only what poor people and animals would eat. The youngest son hits rock bottom. He has this realization, I mean, my, even my father's slaves eat better than me. So he starts walking and he hatches this plan in his mind and he's rehearsing his speech on the way over and over and over again. I'll go to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The boy reasons that there's no way that he would ever be accepted back into the family. His only hope not only to survive, but to earn back just a little of his dad's respect and maybe even some of his love is to be a slave. To start at the rock bottom as one of the hired hands. Higher ranking slaves in that day were treated as part of the family. But hired hands were like day laborers. They could be dismissed in one day's notice. The younger brother was taking that chance if his father would take the chance on him. I mean, this seems fair. Think about how you would react if one of your children demanded and then lost one-third of your retirement savings. You might hire him to do odd jobs around the house if he needed to earn some money, but you wouldn't let him come back inside and live rent-free and have access to the bank accounts. And that is why what happens next is so shocking. As the boy sees his farmhouse on the horizon, he also sees someone running toward him, and it was Dad. And in that honor-shame culture, the younger son's actions had deeply 
dishonored his father. No self-respecting father in that situation would run toward the son unless he was so angry that he might want to beat him up and nobody would have blamed him for doing that. No, let the boy come to him and grovel. But Luke tells us while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. That word for compassion in Greek is esplanixte. It's the same one used to talk about the compassion Jesus feels for the people that He sees in the crowd that are harried like a sheep with no shepherd. It's the same compassion He has for those people who need to be healed. It's the same word for compassion that they use for this, Luke uses for the Samaritan who sees the man in the ditch and helps him. It's a dramatic word poorly translated into English. Esplaniste means to feel such intense compassion that your gut feels like it's bursting open. The father's urge to love and care for his son was so strong that his body could barely hold it. I mean, you've felt that if you've seen these pictures of children fleeing Ukraine or if you've watched your own children suffer. The boy's legs are shaking, his heart racing. He stammers out his request, begging for mercy, but before he can get down to his knees, his father almost knocks him down with his embrace and starts kissing him. Go get the robe to cover these rags, he says. A robe was a symbol of honor. Put a ring on his finger. A ring was a symbol of authority. Get him some sandals. Children in the household wore shoes. Slaves did not. Kill a fatted calf. Now, this was a once in a year kind of meal. Come on, everybody, stop the work. It's time to party. This son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. The older brother was out in the field working where he was supposed to be. No one had bothered to come and get him. But when he was coming back to the house at the end of the day, he heard music. And he heard about what his father had done from one of the slaves. The older brother was so furious that he wouldn't go in. He just stood out there simmering, pacing. Fred Craddock writes, it was the music and the dancing that offended the older son. Of course, let the younger son return. Judaism and Christianity have clear provisions for restoration of the penitent returnee, someone that would be willing to say they were sorry and that they had messed up. But where does it say such provisions include a banquet with music and dancing? Yes, let the prodigal return, but to bread and water, not a fatted calf, in sackcloth, not a new robe, wearing ashes, not a ring, in tears, not merriment, kneeling, not dancing, I mean, was he even sorry? I mean, hasn't dad always preached hard work and self-control and the consequences of our actions? Now he's treating him like nothing ever happened. Now he's treating him like I deserve to be treated. And then the same father who ran to embrace his younger son ran to pull his older son close. Son, 
Your brother's home. Come see him. Come join the party. But he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I have been working like a slave for you. I've never disobeyed your command. You've got to watch when people say never. Yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back who devoured your property with prostitutes, I think that's his assumption, you killed the fatted calf for him. Then the father said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. Hear that again. All that is mine is yours. It's always been yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and has been found. Both boys understood their father. They understood that he valued faithfulness and loyalty and righteousness. But when it came down to it, when it really came down to it, they both misunderstood The younger son misunderstood what was required to be reconciled with his father. It did not require him to grovel and beg. He couldn't earn his way back into his father's good graces by his own earnestness or his work. There was nothing that he could have ever done for his father to really kick him out of the family. All he had to do was turn around and walk back home. He didn't even have to walk all the way. His father's compassion would burst forth, sending him running to meet him. But the older son also misunderstood. The older son misunderstood what was required for his little brother to be reconciled to the father. But he also misunderstood his own relationship with his father. His father saw his hard work. He, saw, he knew his faithfulness and that made him swell with pride. Yes, his father expected a lot from him. Yes, his father held him to a high standard just as he did for his little brother. But his ability to fulfill these expectations did not determine his worth in his father's eyes. The older son was projecting his own feelings and his own assumptions and his own expectations on his dad. His dad asked him to do his best and give his best, but he never asked him to slave away trying to earn something that he already had. Everything the father had, all of the goats and the sheep and the fatted calf, all of his love was already his if he would just ask. If he would just stop his restless striving and receive his father's abundance. Both sons believed that the logic of their father's love was the logic of cause and effect, the logic of credits and debits, earning and deserving, but the logic of the Father's love was grace. And to the older son, that looks just as much like squandering as his brother's spending on prostitutes. If this story scandalizes you, it should. Because that is what the grace of God looks like and feels like. Unearned and unmerited, it disrupts the logic of how we think life should work. How life think we think life should work in our skewed sense of logic. Grace is not karma. It's not cause and effect. It will not follow our rules. 
properly experienced grace is shocking and extravagant and wasteful and embarrassing. My question this morning for you is how have you misunderstood your Heavenly Father? Where do you, do you hear yourself and find yourself in this story? The good news is this, whatever you have done or left undone, you can always, always, always come home. There will always be an amazing grace personified by a father in this story who will cast off all pride to shamelessly embrace you. This God will always love and accept you just as you are, no matter what. And if any follower of Jesus or pastor or any church tells you otherwise, they have misunderstood the Gospel. And to all you older brothers and sisters out there like me, know this, all that the Father has is already yours. Yes, your faithfulness, your hard work, your rule following makes God's heart swell with pride. Until you believe that you are entitled to God's abundance. Until it makes you feel more worthy than somebody else. It breaks God's heart when we rant and rave outside of the party refusing to go in. It's time to let go of that pride. To let go of that ego that tells you someone else isn't worthy if they haven't earned it. Who do you need to join in the feast? It's time to let go of that pride, that ego that tells you you aren't worthy, that you haven't earned it. Just let go and let the Father love you. That's all He wants. That's all He'll ever want. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves us.